Life's a plate of cookie dough And you can try to eat it slow But you can miss it out So do it and let it work out Hey, I'm Dope's fearless leader and sober entrepreneur, Kelsey Moreta, and it's time to get real. Each episode, you'll hear raw conversations that feed your soul with entrepreneurs, movers, shakers, and honestly, just plain badasses. These awesome humans have navigated life's challenges and are creating a bright future. So let's dig in. You're listening to Dope's Soberpreneur. All right. I am super excited to have you on the show today. We had such a fun first call when I got to know you. You've got more than 20 years of sales experience, and you also serve on the board of directors of Uncrushed. It's a nonprofit focused on changing the way that mental health is perceived and treated in our society, which I'm all about. You're open about your own journey with mental health and encourage others to seek help when they need it. With that, Richard Harris, big giant warm welcome to Sober Printer. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and excited. Again, like you said, when we first met, it was just like, instant karma and instant kinship. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity to come and support you and the message you're trying to deliver. So awesome. Warm fuzzies. To kick things off, often podcasts open up with the like, hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. And you know, I'm trying to cut through that BS. So at Dope, we have the Dope for Hope pledge that focuses on unfiltered conversations like what we're going to have today. So we'll start it off instead of just saying, how are you? Tell me one high and one low from the last week. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me my favorite curse word to start. (laughs) <laughs> that too. <laughs> so my high was took my family on vacation and took my boys fishing off the coast of Georgia. And we didn't catch any fish. All we caught was sharks. Oh, shoot. Um, yeah. Wow. So that was a real highlight for all of us. And, and it was catch and release. So nobody was harmed or, or yeah. you know harvested or anything like that. That was a highlight. What was a low light? You know, I've probably driven 600 miles in the last three days. We got back from Georgia, had a day to pack up the boys because they went to Boy Scout camp. We had to drive to Redding, California for my wife's, one of our high school friends' wedding, turn around and get up in the next day early and drive back to drop the boys off at Boy Scout camp. And then we went to my aunt, uncles in Sonoma, which is what, believe me, this, if this is my worst day, then, you know, I got, I need to get my head examined. And we were going to decide, we were like, oh, let's go down. We have a place in Monterey. We're like, let's go down there for the five days because it's our first time without the boys. And we just looked at each other yesterday. She's like, my wife goes, let's just stay home. Like, let's just Maybe stay we home. just don't. <laughs> we just don't. So I'm, I'm super energetic and excited, but a little tired. That's probably been the worst thing. Yeah. Like you said, not bad if that's the low of the last week. It's like family time. <laughs> I lost a pretty big deal last week to a Fortune 5 company. So that was a little bit of a bummer, but I've learned how to process those things in a healthy way, right? Like disappointments yeah. allowed. Sadness is allowed, anger, frustration. Like those are all real emotions. You need to own them. But that's that's. I mean, that's a legit disappointment. Yeah, I love that. What you preach, you have to put into practice. You know, you talk about trying to like manage the emotions, and like sales is so intense. Like that, it's similar to entrepreneurship, where you feel like, man, if this buyer says no, they don't want me in their grocery store. It's like, have I failed? <laughs> like, am I a horrible human? It's really hard to separate that, and the sales cycle is similar. Yeah, so I'll say the same thing. Is that Sales is entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship is sales. You can't be an entrepreneur if you don't know how to sell something. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go through sort of sales training like maybe I do and and teach. But at some point, you're selling your idea, right? You're pitching it to somebody. You're trying to get investments. You're trying to get your early customers. You almost need to feel like it's your own, you know, in order to be a good salesperson. So totally. So speaking of sales, like what drew you in? What drew you to sales? And what was it like when you got started? 
Yeah, I'm very different. You know, typically sales is a little bit like a dumpster fire of all other failed professions. Nobody goes into sales. There are very few schools that actually have a degree in sales. They actually are now. Mm-hmm. I always knew I wanted to be in business. So, you know, my first job in high school was working at the Gap, right, and selling, you know, clothes. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Keep in mind, this is circa 1985 when all the Gap sold were Levi's jeans. They didn't even have their own brand. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. But I thought it was cool, like jeans and a T-shirt, and I got a discount on clothes and, you know. But it was a great introduction into sales. I know my first sales process is called Gap Act. Greet, approach, product knowledge, add on, close, thank you. Like that's your retail approach. So that was it. And then even when I got out of college, you know, I never liked getting dressed up. So my first job was at the Gap. Like that was out of college. I went back to work at the Gap and I was working in Tucson and Gap Kids at that point was brand new. Like mm-hmm. There were maybe only 15 stores in the country. And I moved over there to do management because I knew I wanted to be in charge because, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. We always think we should be in charge way more than the millennials. Millennials, you got nothing. Trust me, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. <laughs> and no, it's our fault. Believe me, it's our fault. And so I was able to transfer to Denver, which is where I really wanted to be, and then changed jobs, got out of retail, was tired of retail. But retail provided that party lifestyle, right? You could go out get certain weekends off and you go out, but you could also work on Saturday, but you don't have to be to work to, you're doing the closing shift on Saturday from one to 10. Yeah. It's like, shoot, I can go out Friday night, get up, go work till 10. I don't go out till 11, go out again. Like I was not, um, I don't know that I'm an alcoholic. Like I, I never got to that point. I've certainly blacked out more times than I can imagine, which I know is not good, but I think I was a heavy self-medicator, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I was medicating my depression and my lack of confidence and my imposter syndrome and all those other things that really lie underneath it. And I I do not think, I believe in, and I do not believe I have the gene and the genetics of a drug addict or alcoholic. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I know it runs in families. I'm not sure about yours, but I know that it can be brought on on your own. It can be brought on by tragedy and it can be a genetic thing. So mm-hmm. And I'm, one thing I try to help people expand the definition of is this term around alcoholic, right? Like, what if it could just be about getting sober because your life is just better without alcohol? You know, there are some people who have all these shades. And sometimes when we make it so stark of like, you either have a horrible problem and you're like on the streets or you're totally fine and you can handle alcohol. The people who are struggling somewhere in the center feel like, well, I'm not that bad, so I must be fine. And versus like, some people just can't balance it, but I think it's a stigma, right? Like there's a stigma too. Oh, I don't want to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. Or like you failed, like you couldn't figure it out. Yeah. But there's a stigma there. I see the similar stigma. You know, we both have our friend, Tim, mm-hmm. he and I've shared a lot about this. There's a stigma around admitting the problem, whether it's depression or anxiety or alcoholism, or drug abuse, or sex addiction, or you know, whatever your ism oh, or is. Or the relation of all those things. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, because they're all interconnected, right? Yeah. So there's that stigma piece that's really bothersome to me. And I think that prevented me for a long time from seeking the help that I needed to go through stuff. Yeah. So tell me about that. What was that journey like for you? My darkest day was, I remember waking up, I'm, I'm in San Francisco, I'm working for the cool hip newspaper. This is late 1999, early 2000s, paper called SF Weekly. If you think about the Village Voice or San Francisco Bay Guardian, some of those cool places, these are the papers you pick up every week to see what's going on, right? 
movies, bands, all that stuff. And so I was working at this cool paper. We were all over the country. You know, we had different papers and I'm single, I'm straight statistically in San Francisco. So that's not a bad thing. You know, I lived in my own apartment. Like I was capable of supporting myself in a one bedroom. Like I was not in a very nice neighborhood. And I woke up one day frozen in bed. Like literally, I've never been frozen before where I physically couldn't move. I didn't have like muscle aches or spasms, but I was just in that fetal position and, and couldn't move and finally got myself moving and called my mom. What was going through your head? Were you like no thoughts either frozen in your mind as well, or just your body was not having it to get up and you kind of knew inside what was going on? Nobody's ever asked me that. What was going on in my head? What was going on in my head is that I knew I was very, very depressed and sad and unhappy. In my battle with depression and struggle with it, I'm super lucky. I've never wanted to hurt myself. I've never tried. I've never wanted to hurt anybody else. So in many ways, I consider my depression a lucky kind of depression, like compared to stories I've heard. So I just knew something wasn't right. That's probably the best. Like, I, like this is not right. Like this is, I should not feel this way. So I was probably even in that moment beating myself up. Like, snap out of it. Like I wasn't even owning my own authenticity to it. But I knew I needed something. So I called my mom you know, a nice little kid from Macon, Georgia. And, you know, my mom said, well, just come home. And I remember the very first thing I said to her, I said, I can't come home. She goes, why not? And I said, because then the city wins. Mm. And San Francisco, when you first moved to San Francisco, at least when I did in during the first dot com, like everybody was, you know, my joke is everybody in Southern California wants to be somebody important and everybody in Northern California thinks they're somebody important because of the startup world. I just felt very intimidated. And I couldn't let the city beat me. Like I just wasn't going to let that happen. So she said, call your buddy, Brian, who was my college roommate who lived here. And he, you know, he's like, go see if you can go get a beer with him. So I went and got a beer and, you know, I tried to explain to him what I was doing. He listened, but he also said he couldn't relate. I went by Ricky at the time, but he's like, Ricky, I'm happy to listen. I just don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what that feels like. And I just said to him, I said, that's okay. Just the fact that you showed up at the last minute unannounced, just to hang out, to be present was really, really important as, as that journey. And then my mom reached out to a friend who knew someone who was a therapist here and she's still my therapist 25 or 30 years later. That is so epic. 25, 30 years later. Wow. So nice to build that really long-term relationship with someone to kind of see the growth and see the changes and know the history. So you get with her, you're seeing a therapist and everything's able to kind of change around. New view, less intimidated by the city. I think like when I think about the changes you made to start seeing a therapist, what else were you doing in that early time of discovery that, hey, I need to focus on my mental health? What other support systems did you lean on? Changes you made in your life? Yeah, I definitely worked to stop drinking as much. I definitely worked towards, I remember when I first started therapy, I did therapy once a week and then my therapist didn't even did a group therapy. So for a while I was doing like, two and a half hours a week. But after each therapy session, I went to the Presidio golf course to practice putting. Whether it was 15 minutes or an hour, one, I like to play golf. And I'm like, well, this is a good part of my game. And I don't need to like go play. Like I can bring one club and three golf balls and leave them in my car and go practice. And so I was doing that. And then even my therapist, she would say, these were some of the little things early on. She said, because I was really bad at eye contact. She said, well, make eye contact with the woman at the grocery store just and say, how are you? Or guy, like she, it wasn't like the gender, it wasn't a dating thing, it was a confidence thing. And she's like, 
you know, there are studies that show when you just have small talk conversation, it actually boosts your serotonin. You feel good. Little baby steps. There were times you know, I lived in, I mean, you know the area. So I lived in the marina in San Francisco, which is, you know, hip and cool and very active and lots of little shops. And I got into the habit of walking four blocks in one way and four blocks back just because I was feeling edgy and antsy. Mm-hmm. Like physical release. Yeah. Get your blood moving. Or to get up, try to get out of my head. Yeah. I remember early on in my journey of therapy, one of my biggest fears was not having something to think about. Like, because my mind races, I have depression and anxiety at manageable levels. So, you know, it never took me out of jobs or, or things like that, I don't think. And that was one of the things my therapist was like, it's okay if you can do that, if that's what you want. It's also okay if you don't, right? So eventually I can now sit with myself. But that was not easy for me. And sitting with myself didn't mean thinking about myself. It's sitting with myself just meant trying not to think about anything and trying not to think about not thinking. Like just moment, be in the moment, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that moment for self-reflection, which meditation gives you in strides, right? Like trying to focus on what can like, can you just be with yourself for even five minutes? And for those who have never tried it, it is amazing to watch your brain's tendency to fill, to fill the space, to grab your phone, to start scrolling the next thing. You know, sometimes you just find yourself like lost, just drifting into all these other thoughts, though. Yeah, right. I mean, it's worse now. I was doing this in 2001, 2002, before the iPhone before social media yeah i think myspace was sort of out there but even then i was too old for it <laughs> dial up took so long that you couldn't <laughs> it wasted your time anyway so it was a quick check yeah or like aol instant messenger chat rooms and whatnot yeah. so you could put some time into it but not quite the same it's almost the distraction level now of like even the content that's coming out is literally all these micro form things like we're scrolling tiktok or you got reels or youtube shorts i mean it's literally they have trained our brains to have like 30 second attention span. So sometimes you even find yourself in a conversation or watching a movie or something. And it's like, if something gets dull for a moment, it's almost uncomfortable to sit through. You get bored. You're like, oh, can we like feed it up or like get to the app? Yeah, my wife, you know, she's great at saying, put your phone down. We're watching something. Stay present watching what you're watching. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's, you know, it all comes back to the, I mean, you might know more about it than I do, but you know, you know, what's going on in your brain and whether it's the gambling addiction or the drug addiction or an alcohol addiction, it's, it's kind of like the same stuff, right? It's that stimulation. Something else to think about. Yeah, the stimulation to keep your brain focused on something else. So you don't have to think about the hard stuff, you know? Right. When you are feeling sad and anxious and overwhelmed, which is leading you to drugs, alcohol, et cetera, you don't want to sit and be with your thoughts. That's why those yep. substances are used in large part to not have to feel and not have to sit and think. So even when you get sober or when you make a change in your life to focus on your mental health, you still have to be really conscious about solving those problems that caused the issue in the first place, solving those underlying uh, childhood traumas, solving, mm-hmm. you know, the way you're interacting with the world today as an adult and trying to get to that place where like you can really just sit, you know, you yeah, you've lost your numbing agents. Like I'm not using alcohol anymore, but it didn't make my problems go away. So I certainly feel like it's a renewed focus on that every day to try and be like, I'm not using alcohol. So what are my other tools? You know, like what yeah. are the other things I can do to keep myself grounded? Totally agree. Totally agree. So tell me how this came to life in sales for you and your work now to support other people in sales. 
you know, we'll talk about Uncrushed and whatnot, but just generally, what do you think are the biggest flaws in the sales environment that you experience? One is poor leadership. Like just most salespeople are promoted because we're good at closing. We're good at discovery. We're good at handling objections. Maybe we helped with the interview process. Maybe we helped work out a new sales process. And everybody's like, oh, they want to be a manager. Like nowhere in there are interpersonal relationship skills, conflict resolution skills, supporting and motivating, right? Understanding that motivation doesn't always mean compensation. So the soft skills are the hard skills. I I once had a, a business coach tell me. So I think that's a piece of it. I went through this about uh, almost 10 years ago when I went through my last job before I started my consulting business and got a business coach for the first time. And so that's the stuff that I think is missing. I was already well on my journey of therapy and healing myself and working through my own shit. And you know, eventually my wife and then met a couple of people through the sales industry. And, and then you know, this gentleman, Tim Clark, who founded Uncrush and Lindsay Boggs founded Uncrush. I knew them. I saw what they were doing and I reached out and I said, hey, if there's something I can do to support it, I'm pretty open. They asked me to write my story and I did. And then Tim asked me to be on the board and it's just sort of blossomed from there. And I have to remind myself, I don't know if you do this. My wife, Kathy, says all the time, she's like, you know, you're way further in your journey than a lot of people. You can talk about this like you were watching the Bronco game last weekend. You have no issue. Not everybody's there yet. And I have to remind myself of that, right? They're on their own journey. So my job, or at least I feel like my responsibility is to share my journey and let people resonate with it and let them marinate in the stories and find their own relationship to it. And then, then it's sort of on them. And I, I assume you're like me, you, you go on something and you tell your story and people are like, you get these messages on LinkedIn or whatever. And they're just like, Hey, Kelsey, thank you for sharing. I'm, you know, I've just started this or I've been through the same thing and it just felt good to hear from you. And it's just like, that's all I'm trying to do, right? Like I'm not, I take a slightly different stance on it too. My goal is not to help one person. That's not good enough. I want to help a thousand people. Like if I'm going to really try and do something about it, I'm going to try and help a thousand people. And I'm not going to try and change the game. Like I'm not trying to tell everybody to stop having a stigma about mental health. Like I can't change that. All I can do is give them perspective. And if they decide not to change, then that's okay. And if they decide to change, then that's okay. But my goal is to help a thousand people or more or a million people just hear a different story and see the perspective slightly differently. And I think we're also at a place in the world where it's a little bit easier for people to do that. So they're willing to listen a little bit more. Yeah, breaking that down. And tell me, so what is Uncrushed? Yeah, so Uncrushed was started by Tim and Lindsay, specifically, obviously for salespeople, because we already supposed to crush the number. What ends up happening, though, is we get crushed by the number when we don't make it. And there is a hypothesis that the mental health struggles in sales are very different than other departments. Not that they don't exist, but very few departments, if you don't hit the numbers, are you gone, right? It can maybe happen in marketing, but you're given two or three years. In sales, you're given months or quarters to get it done. I've worked at places where we hired and fired in two-week cycles. If you couldn't close a deal in the first two weeks, you're gone. It's super cutthroat. I mean, it's also transactional. Like the deals are like 50 bucks. So like there's this balance in there of what is the right thing, but there's a lot of stress there. In fact, Uncrushed, we just released it. And sorry to plug, but whatever. Plug away. We released a report on the state of mental health and sales for 2021. 
We gathered data from about 770 people back in March and April of this year talking about, and we were, it was different. It wasn't, what we did was, what were the parts of your life where you performed the best? What did leadership look like when you were performing the best, as opposed to when were you the worst? There's a little bit of that. So we were able to change the narrative just a bit to try and go, oh, when people have this support system, statistically, they perform better. And then there were statistically, when they didn't have that support system, they didn't perform as well. So we couldn't show causation, but we could show some correlation between the two. And we were able to ask the questions in a way that says, well, what do you need to perform your best? Which was not necessarily the same as what do they want to perform the best? Like what they thought, want, what salespeople thought they wanted was one thing. But when we broke it down and asked the question in a different way, what they really needed was this other piece. And it also tackles it from a leadership level. Like what does leadership need to be providing? Not what does Richard need to do with himself? There's some of that, but what does leadership need? And it's authenticity, vulnerability, accountability, the ability to say, I screwed up. Like I need to hear my boss say that and stop hiding behind the masks of management, right? And leadership, because those are your best leaders. Even when you listen, in my opinion, I think we've been conditioned that leadership is like the military. And there's a lot of that in there. There is, you know, got to have a process and got to follow it. Someone's in charge and someone has to make decisions. Even then, some of the best leaders know the right moment to back off. Right. A best drill sergeant will know that their soldier will be very hard on themselves as much so as the sergeant could. Be. So, you know, that good leader knows how to figure those pieces out and find that balance. Yeah. We'll avoid breaking them. Yep. Super helpful. Where can people find that and the learnings you guys got from the report? Yeah, it's it's actually on my website, the Harris Consulting Group and I probably need to create a bit.ly for it or something like that. But it's you can also just Google the state of mental health and sales 2021. It's also, I think, believe, you know, there's a link on Uncrushed. There's a link at the Sales Health Institute, which is our friend Jeff Risley, who I believe you know. Also yeah. Kelsey. Yeah. So Richard Harris, the Harris Consulting Group. I'll make it super easy. Like I'm freaky this way. Mm -hmm. uh, my number is 415-596-9149. 596-9149. Yes, it's my real cell phone number. Yes, I'll answer the phone. Yes, I'll take a text message. Yes, I'll, if you send me your email address, I'll send you the link. What about a GIF? <laughs> send a GIF. Send me a GIF. Send me a GIF. Send me whatever. You'd be surprised how many times I give out my number and maybe two people ever call. I'm just going like to fill your, fill your inbox with a bunch of cookie GIFs. I want all the oh, cookie okay. dough GIFs going to Richard. <laughs> so after what you've learned and through this report and whatnot, if you could talk to some salespeople out there, what's one thing you wish that they knew? One, you're not alone, which I think is probably the same thing you say to anybody. Yeah. Struggling. Two, the first step you can make is to just say, can I even just examine myself? You no, know, your first step doesn't have to be an actual step, right? Your first step is to say, you know what? I just, let, me, let me just sit with this. You know, I call this giving yourself permission. Give yourself permission to just explore this idea. You may not be ready for it. You may be like, no, that's not me. Or you may be like, okay, yeah, I explored it. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. But, you know, and give yourself that pat on the back, right? That's what I really want people to do is to just stop, take that breath, and just think about it. You know, that's the goal for me. And to me, that sort of goes back to what I was saying. Like, how do I affect a million people? If I can make a million people do that, something good's going to happen. Like, you can't not. 
right? That's the first thing I do. I have my list of things, right? So if you are ready to do something, these are the things I encourage people to do. One, talk to a friend. We've all got a friend that we can trust, I hope. I'll get pinged on LinkedIn if people want to say, Richard, I just need to ask you a question. You I was going to say, if they don't have a friend, they have your number now. They just made a friend. There you go. Or hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm happy to do it. If clergy is your thing, go to your religion, right? Like it's that's what it's there for, for certain people. Therapy is good. Meditation is great. I'm a big headspace guy. You know, adult coloring books are really cool, particularly for the active mind, because it does let you think, but it lets you think about nothing, mm-hmm. which is kind of, the, you know, that's the piece. Weighted blankets are great. If you haven't done a weighted blanket at night, that's really helpful. Love those. I feel similarly, the adult coloring book is similar to yoga for me. This idea of like, I don't have to think because I'm just thinking about them telling me the next move to do. You know, you're listening to an instructor for an hour and it's like this flow of my brain can just be focused on this and my body moving with my breath and and that's it versus letting the mind spin. So yeah. With what you guys are doing at Uncrushed on the team there, what kind of impact do you think this is having and could have um, in the future? Yeah, we're seeing it happen in a lot of places. One, you know, it introduced me to you, you to me. And so we've got some things we're going to try and do. So that's how I know that it exists. We hear from people regularly about the stories that we share, whether it's on the podcast or on the website. We have some companies who are reaching out to us to say, hey, help us with our you know, mental health advocacy piece. And we go and do some presentations around building that structure for them. So I think that's where we're focusing. So we're, we're at that B2B level, but we're also at that B2C level, just letting the individuals know it's there. We are, you know, Tim's a, over at Salesforce and you know, Salesforce came up this year with Soberforce. You know, statistically speaking, you got 60,000 employees. Statistically speaking, we know there are quite a few who have some level of an addiction. They're taking some stuff initiative-wise. We're going to try and start doing some as event, real events come along. We're going to try to provide some sober events next door to it. So like went to Dreamforce, we you know, get some sponsors and, and host a non-alcoholic, not a drug-free event. Not that every event is, but specifically for those people who want to come, go to San Francisco and have a good time that doesn't, where they don't feel the pressure of the alcohol, right? Or the drug use and still have a good time dancing and having mocktails and networking and just creating that safe space. Love it. Huge on this. Anybody throwing parties this holiday season, thinking about having alternative drink options. I'm so big on mocktails and just having something other than water. It is a real make or break. I know actual people who their relapse story was because of the pressure in a party environment and there wasn't anything for them and you just crack. So in sales stuff with your offices or events you're throwing, it's so important to think about that. When you look at your life and think about what you've done, what are you the most proud of? I'm proud of the resilience and the hard work I did to get to where I am socially and economically. I always think I knew I'd get there economically because I was good at that. It was the social part. And so I think, you know, having my wife getting to that stage of my life, having my kids, you know, without being too cliche, but based on where I came from to get there, right? You know, my we talk about therapy all the time. My wife and I do therapy, all that stuff. And, you know, as we talk to our kids, because you know, we want them to know that it's okay to talk about this stuff, you know, there have been, in the appropriate moments, part of the reason you are my son and I am your father is because I had to do some hard work because I wasn't capable of being a good dad. They don't necessarily know what that means in all aspects, but 
they've slowly learned over time that it takes effort and they see, they hear Kathy and I, when we talk about things or work through things where we have a disagreement, like we're consciously, guys, this is what hard work means. This stuff is important. And so I think probably the best thing I could say is, which will turn into a whole other podcast, but I'm very proud of breaking the cycle of what I experienced. My parents were divorced when I was about 10. There was no abuse. There was no alcoholism. There was no bitter custody fight. I could go back and forth as much as I wanted. So again, lucky for me, like I didn't have some of those horrible things, but my father kind of ignored me a lot. I was sort of seen as this responsibility and I broke that cycle. So that's probably the thing I'm most proud of breaking that. And I know that, believe me, my kids, they can either have a college fund or a therapy fund. So, so they can, you know, so, but, um, Where will it go? <laughs> yeah, you know, they'll, no, they'll get both if they want it. But I, you know, I think building that into this family unit is probably the most proud thing I've accomplished. Well, congratulations for one, because it is a big step to break the cycle. I think it's absolutely amazing. Something I've been looking more in depth at actually in the last few months of my life, like how much of a history repeats itself. There really is through generations. You know, I talked to my mom about her relationship with her parents and so many of the things she said she never wanted to be, she ended up being with us when we were young. And it is so fascinating to look at how that's now affected me in my life and changes I've started to make. And, you know, just you really do have to make that commitment to break the cycle because without very intense focus on it and real attunement to your mental health and, and all of that, it's so easy to repeat what was done to you. As weird as that is, it does repeat itself through generations. And then here's the deal. You will still do it. Like I've been through 20 years of therapy. I still do it. Like I talked to my therapist last week and was talking about something with my 13 year old son. And she's like, you know, Richard, doesn't that sound familiar? And I'm like, oh yeah, my dad used to do it. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you work hard. And, but the difference is, is I can acknowledge that at some distance with a little bit of space and go, yeah, you're right. I can do better. And I can go back to my son, which I did and said, hey buddy, I think I made a mistake in that conversation. And I said, look, we're not always going to agree, but I want you to know that when I think I make a mistake, I'll, I'll own it because I want him to own that too. Yeah. And what an analogy to the sales side too. You mentioned leaders needing to be able to admit when they're wrong. And similarly, like you as the father are the leader for him and, you know, getting that example to say like, hey, something I did wasn't okay. And I know I hurt you and I shouldn't have done that. That's huge. That's huge. Something we can all take away. One thing I'll actually ask you on the podcast too is about your mental health recipe card. And so for me, these certain things that I need to have in line to stay grounded, it's like, you know, I've gone in waves. I have a very intense personality and my whole life has been sort of these waves of, am I keeping it under control? Am I staying grounded? Or is it a really intense time and I've started to let go of some things? So what's on your mental health recipe card to keep yourself grounded? Definitely spending time with my kids is really helpful to me. And it in many ways, it pulls me away from the computer. Meditation, although I don't do it as much as I used to, you know, I had a like a 400 day streak, you know, wow. and I missed it. You blow that streak and you're like, fuck, I got to start over. Yeah. Which I didn't like. Like I stopped paying attention to that. It's funny how competitive we are even with ourselves, right? Like the gamification totally. of it. So funny. Yeah. yeah. I also, you know, I color code my calendar. So, you know, red, yellow, green. Green is always money stuff. Yellow is, could be money right? This conversation is kind of a yellow thing, mm-hmm. right? Red is just shit you got to get done, whether it's my doctor's appointments or accounting or something like that. So I use red, yellow, green. And then the most important thing I've done in the last year and a half is I 
color code out from 2.30 to 5 every Wednesday and Friday, and it says on my calendar, hold for golf. I probably only do it once or twice a month, but it's part of the calendar I can control. Nobody can go set a meeting with me at that time. Nobody can do anything. Same thing from 12 to 1. I give myself an hour lunch. Oftentimes, I'm using the lunch to get a quick bite but then maybe catch up on one or two things. But nobody can take my calendar. I think the biggest mental health game in business for me has been that, you know, if you don't own your calendar, your calendar will own you. Or someone else will come along and own your calendar for you. And I don't need that. So it doesn't mean I still don't do my 12 and 14-hour days and I get back to back to back to back to back. But at least it's there and I don't have to think about it. And I remember when I first did it, you know, because it's a recurring meeting, I think I had to go schedule it like a month from now. Like there was, it was a month before I would have like every Wednesday and Friday afternoon with nothing scheduled. And I was like, well, I'm just going to put it there because I know yeah, I'll get there. Totally. I went through this change too of like, I got to, I needed to stop to have some serious, like solid work time instead of just like, you know, it's inevitably just meetings all day. Like you said, if you let it run wild, it is. So we try, try to block from like two on each day for work time, no meetings. And it took the same thing of like, all right, let's start that in three weeks, you know? But what if you told everybody in the company, you know what, everybody on Thursdays from three to five, you go home, everybody block out your calendar. There's no meetings. If you want to work, you can but I want to build it in like two hours is not going to kill anybody. Right. In theory, you know, so that to me is sort of where I want people to go. Like I run my own business so I can do whatever I want. Right. But I want you to block it out to have that extra work time, but I want you to block it out. Look, you're an entrepreneur. Granted COVID, who says you can't go to a movie at two o'clock in the afternoon? Nobody like, like you're adults, right? Like, you know, so, and particularly because of COVID, I think that's the piece people are, I'm hoping come out of this with is that like, yeah, we're going to go back to work, but don't think it's going to be the same thing. Right. The studies are already out there showing people are willing to leave their company. I talked about this a year and a half ago when COVID came out that when this is over, people are going to leave their company who didn't treat them well. They're going to hang on. They're going to keep their salary and their medical insurance, pay for their life. And as soon as they get a chance to jump ship, they will, unless you treat them good now. 100%. Yeah, hugely passionate about this. There was just another article I'll send you, uh, Business Insider interviewed Dope and one of our employees as well about this on uh, treating employees, supporting, you know, addiction recovery and mental health and making it a a safe place for that. There's some crazy numbers from the CDC about overdose deaths increasing 30% last year. Wow. So it's just really, you know, impossible to ignore that this is, these are your employees. You know, you talked about the Salesforce example of like 60,000 of them. Like the stats just absolutely know that a larger number than you'd like to think of those employees are struggling with it, even in the workplace. Yeah, it's hundreds. It's not a handful. It's not 25. It's hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds. So it's, it's a bit nutty. Yeah, it really is. Well, before we go today, just real quick, it's time for our Raw Truth game. It's rapid fire questions to reveal some raw truths about what makes you, you. You're ready. I'm ready. Okay, what's your biggest guilty pleasure? Biggest guilty pleasure, uh, The Hills on MTV. Nice. Gosh, we just got sucked into some trash TV over the weekend. Liz right. and I have been recovering from actually catching COVID, unfortunately. Oh, no. And we watched all of Too Hot to Handle, which I'm like so ashamed of, but it was also just, I couldn't look away. There's certain things I, I would like to watch, but because my kids have Netflix, I can't watch them. Like, they're like, why are you watching that? Totally. They draw attention to it. You uh-huh. need like an incognito profile. All right, next one. How would your friends describe you? Supportive, funny, always there, always the guy behind the scenes to help other people get accomplished things. 
my closest of friends would say, I believe my own imposter syndrome too much. Yeah. They know you. Just cut to it. The thing that makes you the happiest. Chocolate. What's the thing you can't live without? Chocolate. (laughs) Back to back. What's the one thing you could live without? If you say chocolate, I'm going (laughs) to... No, no, no. Actually, I couldn't. Really couldn't. I could live without my depression and anxiety. I fantasize about what that would be like to not even have it, to be like my friend Brian who doesn't have that. But it's a work in progress. It's not a... It's not like an albatross around my neck when I say that. It's not like, oh, I wish I could get rid of it. It's like, oh, it'd be really cool. Like I can visualize it. And that's important. It's your challenge though. You needed something in your life to have to work through. So yeah. What is a song that you sing in the shower? Should you start singing in the shower? Uh, anything Springsteen. Anything by Bruce. Fill in the blank. Blank gets me out of bed in the morning. My kids. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I'm actually a morning person. So getting up to you know, not seize the day, jazz hands, but you know, I, I don't mind getting up. I'm, I'm pretty good. We literally say seize the day when we wake up, like most mornings is we'll be like, all right, uh, let's seize the day. And then, and then uh, I throw up jazz hands. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I say it's time to make the donuts. Nice. Oh, we should come up with a cookie dough one. I love it. Yeah. Let's get that dough. That's what we need to start the day with. <laughs> I love it. That to me is where you crush yourself. That's where uncrushed would say like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you got enough. Like, you don't, you know. Don't start with the pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you're just getting up. Like it's like, let's get the coffee. How's <laughs> that? The coffee. Right? There you go. What is the goal you most want to achieve this year? This is our last one. I'm trying new things with my business to see what I can set up for 2022. Like I'm trying some new partnerships and some new ideas. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is figuring out a plan for our surf and sales. How do we grow our surf and sales event for a big event, which I don't even know if you know about that yet. But I would hope you'll tell me right now. This is the part of the podcast where I want to hear what awesome stuff you're up to and where people can get in touch with you. You can get a hold of me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest. You got my phone number, 415-596-9149. Whether you want to talk about sales or sales training or mental health or just say hello. I'm, I'm always open. Awesome. Well, extra special thanks, Richard. It was so good talking to you today. Thanks for doing everything that you do for individuals in sales and beyond to really focus on their mental health and sharing the journey you had to discovering your own and getting to where you are today. To all the listeners out there, I hope you're feeling inspired to go out and make a change in the world. Until next time, I'm Kelsey and that was Dope's Soberpreneur. But wait, there's more. Are you drooling after all this cookie dough talk? Jump over to dope.com. It's D-O-U-G-H-P.com to order some of our edible and bakeable cookie dough. You can use code KEEPITREAL for 10% off at checkout. Thanks and have a dope day.